as we're turning back to Ephesians 5, that is really one of the the big issues of our life, especially as Americans, there's so many different distractions, right? You can, these days, you can idolize, you know, a, a musician, you know, a, an actor, an athlete, and, you know, those are really quite silly things. It used to be you would, you know, your heroes were, you know, your, your dad or your grandpa or your mom or someone like that, people who you knew, people actually did things. But really, our, our greatest hero should be our Lord Jesus Christ. Our example is, is Jesus. That's why Paul says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ, turning the attention away from himself and turning it the, the, the spotlight on Jesus. Jesus says, you know, you know, that we need to follow him, deny ourselves, Deny our own flesh, deny our own desires, deny our own passions, our own whims. Deny yourself, take up our cross, be willing to sacrifice, and follow Him. Well, we live in a different age in society. And if you really, instead of wanting to have a great life, a thriving life, a a God-pleasing life, if you wanted to ruin your life, you would do things differently. You might do things like, well, do whatever you want. I mean, if you really want to ruin your life, then just do whatever you want to do. Of course, that's not what you hear today from pop culture, right? And pop culture says in order to have a great life, you live in the now. You do whatever you want to do. But that's really how you ruin your life. You want to ruin your life? Well, live beyond your means. Uh, One of the great things and lessons that um, the Lord has taught me, especially being here at Ravensdale, is that that there is an end of the line, right? And and there's a a sunrise and and people get older. Uh, You get gray hair and, you know, you don't just live for today. There is a tomorrow that you want to plan and prepare for and maybe you shouldn't live beyond your means because there will be a tomorrow if you want to ruin your life well then just keep on going on and feeding your addictions whatever those are Um, feeding those things that aren't healthy for you Um, Schaefer said you know that in 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 the American and and really in in a postmodern world that we would we would strive for personal peace and affluency. The, the personal peace is doing whatever you want. It's kind of that, that feeding the addiction and then affluency. Do it more, do it more, do it more. And so we see that all over the place that people are just feeding those things that um, are, are very, very temporary but feel good for now. If you want to ruin your life, well, then run with fools. Hang out with fools, be with fools, act like a fool. Do what fools do. Um, If you want to ruin your life, then live and believe that, that your life is actually about you. Now, that's a hard thing to comprehend because you wake up in the morning and you breathe and you see yourself and you feel yourself. And it's hard not to think that 
it's not about you, but it's not. You're just a small part, a small piece of what's happening here on earth. <coughs> if you want to ruin your life, then again, kind of not only just feeding those addictions, but living for just the immediate gratification. Uh, whatever feel good, feels good now, don't think of the consequences. Don't think of the ramifications. Um, j- just, just do it, right? That, that idea of YOLO, you know, you only live once, which seems to be the battle cry of, of the young and even the, the older now. Finally, if you want to ruin your life, then avoid accountability. Don't let people into your life. Don't listen to people. Don't allow yourself to ever be coached, to ever be corrected. Now, that takes something else. That takes you humbling yourself and putting yourself into subjection of other people. And then there's the rub, right? It's like, well, maybe I could be accountable somebody to somebody and accountability isn't that idea of you just tell people your problems tell people what you just did and then you're going to go out and do it again and then tell them again when you did that thing no that's not accountability accountability is placing yourself under somebody else's care under somebody else's leadership under somebody else's headship and then listening to them, being actually subject to them, allowing them to evaluate you, to correct you, and then make those adjustments. Or if you don't want to ruin your life, you can do it differently. You can change your heart. You can change your mindset. Uh, you, you need to have the, the heart of a Christian. Right? Part of that is walking through the doors and, and yielding your own mindset, yielding your own pride and saying, what am I going to learn today? How, how am I going to get better? How, how am I going to make a correction, even if it's just a, a minor adjustment? Am I going to listen to be able to examinate me, not the people around us, me? We, we always have a, a, a theoretical enemy, right? The, the they, those guys, them, you know, especially in a, a political sense, there's always another party and you, you can always blame somebody else. Get your eyes off of them. Put the spotlight on you. The, the, the chances are the biggest problem that you have, go into your bathroom, look in the mirror and then be honest and ask yourself, well, what is it? And if you don't know, well, then you need to ask somebody else. See, we are under the delusion that, and in Christians I'm talking about, that that we think more knowledge means that somehow we're better. Somehow that God likes you better the more you know. The more theology you know, the more scripture you know, the better you can fight with other Christians. See, that's not in the Bible. You don't see that in the Bible. You know what you see? You see sinful people, sinful men and women who blow it. And God provides a way of escape and an atonement for sin so that, so that we can live through it and live eternally with him in heaven. God is constantly calling us not to just puff up our brains in knowledge, 
but to actually do it, right? To get it done, to live it, to live the Christian life, not just say it. And so that's why when we look at a Proverbs 1.7 and it says, okay, here's the, the, the secret to wisdom, the secret to real knowledge, real genius, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. And you're like, well, that, what? How, does that even relate? It, it does. If you fear the Lord, that'll be the beginning of you having real wisdom and understanding. And then it'll make perfect and clear sense. One of the things in fearing the Lord and getting this wisdom is, you know what? Then you do begin to understand there is more than just you. That you know what? You're not the, the one who created the magic snowflakes to come out of the sky that made that big mountain that we get to look at. You did not make that. That's why the understanding of God as creator becomes so powerful and so important and so wise because it puts you in your proper place as the created being, not the creator. Something, somebody made you and that puts you into subjection under them. Well, that will give you a whole new understanding of why you're here on earth. It, it, it's foolish. It then is foolish to think otherwise. And the things that then you have to create and invent in order to replace God, the creator. And over the times and years, and, you know, I know I can pick on the scientific community, but, you know, they deserve it. Because in one minute, they're telling us that we're spontaneously combusted out of nothingness. Right or the Big Bang, um, and every forty years it's something new, something different, not wise. Anything, anything that'll explain away a creator, anything that will explain away that there is intelligent design behind the most complex, complicated, complicated living thing in the universe called the Earth what makes it different than the moon what makes it different than than mars right the earth itself is alive like but that was an accident it just poof that's wise that's smart that's not even scientific everywhere you go every single thing that you see around you screams and cries out who made this it didn't just pop up now you walked in one day and it was there Somebody made it. Somebody installed it. So somebody made that silly little cross. It's just two you know, pieces of wood. It just didn't vanish out of nowhere. Somebody made it. Who made that? Who made the bulletin, right? Nobody assumed that it just came out of nowhere. Intelligent design, creator. That's wisdom. And if you have that wisdom, well, well now it allows you to understand even more. See, the problem is, is mankind doesn't have any fear of the Lord. So they lose their wisdom and then they, they don't really have any fear of well, the alternatives. So they embrace all these different alternatives, alternative ways of living. We'll say alternative lifestyles, right? There's no fear. So they embrace it. Now we see not only just an embracing of it, I'm, I'm reading a book on, it, it's uh, 
ironically, it's written 30 years ago, and it's, it's Hollywood against uh, uh, America, Hollywood versus America. And it's written by a film critic. He's Jewish, so he has a, a certain religious perspective. And it's just incredible how I'm reading this and everything that he's worried about and afraid of is all happening. It's happened. Um, you know, one of my favorite things is, is, you know, you'll hear this from kids, you'll hear this from the movie makers, music, whatever, pop culture. Oh, it's just fun. It has no impact. It has no, nobody's really listening to it. Really? You take a look at all the different things that they were saying about promoting, praising are all taking place today. And by the way, they'll tear down things like a good Christian story, a good story about family and intact. Well, they, they don't promote any of that. Why? Well, they want to erase that. They want to get rid of that. And they've done a really good job of doing that. Um, but anyway, you'll hear more about that since I'm reading it. But the world is aggressive. Aggre it's not passive. It's not passive aggressive. It's aggressive aggressive. The world is aggressively tearing down these things. Tearing down laws. Why do you tear down laws? Well, you don't want consequences. If there's no law, then there's no consequence for disobeying the law, right? The world's aggr aggressively tearing down like what life even is. Well, if we don't define or understand what life is, then we can destroy it. It's a frightening thing to think about what they're saying about unborn children. It's frightening. You, you can go back and study eugenics with, you know, popular guys like Hitler. And, and if you understand their understanding of eugenics and, and, and life and death, you realize all the different arguments for, for why you would kill an unborn child today could exist and why we should kill some of you. Oh, well, that would never. It's already happened. Hitler already did it. It's, you know, we're, we're, we're not supposed to use Hitler as the example, right? It's too, no, it's, it's real. It's history. It happened. He wrote a book explaining exactly what he wanted to do, and then he did it. And by the way, his philosophy, his belief system in that book were directly related to a guy named Nietzsche and evolution. Surprise, surprise. Because if we are all just animals, which is what we've now been teaching our children every single day from kindergarten to 12th grade, you're just an animal, you're just an animal, you're just an animal. Well, then you know what? Well, then go live like animals, which is what we're seeing on college campuses every day, right? Go live like the animals. And by the way, you know what animals can do? Animals can kill each other without consequence. Animals have a hierarchy and a structure. Only the strongest survive. That was Hitler's foundation for the Aryan superior race. If you don't believe me, read the book and then Look at history. It's already happened. Well, the world we have is aggressively tearing these things down. Doesn't understand what life is. We don't even understand what gender is anymore. Really? 
You have to have an operation to change it. You understand something. So it's, but again, it doesn't understand because it has no fear. So it has no wisdom. So there isn't any, even any common sense. The world's aggressively tearing down marriage, right? Marriage, one of the key foundations of civilization and society, even non-religious people understood this, which is why in every single community in the world has marriage laws and rules. Why? Because it's good for community. They recognize that, but we're tearing that down, which ironically, as we look at Ephesians and we study Ephesians and how to walk in a manner worthy of calling, how to put aside wickedness and immorality, it'll lead us into, hey, let's take a look at marriage. Huh. Isn't that interesting? God understands how important marriage is and how important it is to your character and your growth and your development and especially just your understanding we see the world aggressively tearing down without fear. We, we, we see this immature mentality that you would you know, typically see in a, in a, in a teenager, right? They, they don't want to be humble. They don't want to listen. Why listen to mom and dad? What do they know? I mean, worst case scenario, you know, you're 16, your mom and dad, well, they were 16 once. So they've been through it. Uh, they may have even had a couple kids that they've already raised that were 16. So they have some experience. Maybe they picked up a couple books and they've read some things about, you know, 16 year olds and they've observed some life. I, but I, one thing I, I know and guarantee you, your parent knows a lot more than you did at 16. But try telling a 16 year old that. Try telling an unwise, foolish person that they're unwise and foolish today. But I went to college. I went to college. I'm smart because I did what millions and thousands of other people did. And if their check doesn't bounce, they'll get a degree too. Now I say that out loud. Um, so today we're going to look at an understanding a better understanding of how we can live wisely, how we can live wisely. Remember Ephesians 5, we've been looking at this, this foolish versus wise comparison. Um, we're called to imitate God. We're called to walk in love. We're called to put off immorality. We're called to walk as children of light. We're warned to be careful. We're, we're, we're told that there's a difference between wise and foolish. And so today we see another one of these examples, which is to live humbly, to be in humble subjection to each other. And so there's three elements of humble subjection. One, being subject. Two, understanding it's to one another. And then three, in the fear of Christ, in the fear of Christ. So last week we looked at kind of the four applications for wisdom that we needed to have a clear-headed mindset, that we needed to have a spirit-filled mindset, a joyful mindset, a grateful mindset, and today we're going to look at a humble mindset. You have to have a humble mindset to be wise. So the first thing we want to look at Ephesians 5 verse 21 and be subject 
to one another in the fear of Christ. First thing, be subject. Now, with that being said, there may be some of you that already your hairs are starting to, to wiggle a little bit. I'm not subject to anybody. Anybody. I'm my own man. I'm a, I'm a grown-up man, right? Um, I'm not subject to anybody. I, I've run my own business. I, I'm in charge. The idea of being subject is the idea of, of place being placed, being placed in, in rank under something. Well, nobody wants to be under. We all want to be in charge, right? Men, women, children, young, old, everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody. It's not even a virtue anymore to, to be like the second-hand man. No, you have to be the, the A number one. It's not a virtue anymore to, to be the dutiful soldier. No, you got to be the number one man. The idea of being subject and uh, subjection is, is allowing yourself to be Submissive, following, yielding. Does that sound weak? Well, we've turned it into weak. We've rephrased it to where it's probably the most distasteful thing you can say now is that I'm subject to somebody. That, what am I, a slave, right? To say that you're submissive. No, I no, that can't say that. Even though our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the hallmark of his ministry was what? Submission? Is this weak? Was Jesus weak when in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfishness? He wasn't selfish or empty conceit. He wasn't proud. But with humility of mind, it starts with how you think. Let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Not equal, more important. That places them at a higher rank than you. You are at a lower, lower rank than them. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. You're not living for you. You live for others, but also for the interests of others. So give me an example. Well, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Jesus Christ. You want to be like Christ? Then you got to think like Christ so you can live like Christ. Well, what did he do? Verse 6, who although he exists in the form of God, Emmanuel, God with us, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead of the Trinity, the foundation, the pillar of Christianity has roles. Jesus empties himself, taking the form of a bondservant, the form of a voluntary slave. And being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, what did Jesus do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Was there anything more noble? Was there anything more courageous? Was there anything more brave than dying on the cross to pay the price for sins? No. But we see there very clearly described as the ultimate act of 
humility and submissiveness. How we changed and, and reversed what the idea of subjection means to mean the most loathsome thing that there is, something that's despised, which should be something that's praised and rejoiced. We should be fighting to see who is the most submissive person in this room. Why? Because we're being subject to one another. Why? Because we're looking out at the interests of others first. That, that's Christianity. You wonder why people are confused about Christianity? It's because we struggle in living that out. Um, it's hard. It is hard. Why? Because our sin nature. We're born with the selfish desire of me, me, me. Just look at a little baby, a sweet little baby. I'm hungry now. Mama, please wake up and feed me. Nope. Some of you are going to learn real quick. Ah! 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 Right? Feed me now. Feed me now. And it just doesn't stop. Well, it's a beautiful thing. It's the best. But the reality is we're born selfish. We're born to only want to think and consider ourselves. And it's got to be trained out of us. And it's got to be trained out of our mindset. And the best example that the scriptures give us is just be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. That I can handle. I, I can look at you and pick you apart and find your flaws. And you can look at me and you guys can line up and, you know, just have at it. But, but with Jesus, like, no, this is the way to go. So it's one of the most humbling things in the Garden of Gethsemane is as Jesus is praying, knowing he's getting ready to go be despised and spit on and punched and beaten and die and, and to be sitting there going, praying, Lord, is there another way? And God's, there isn't another way. Okay, I will submit to the plan. I will yield to the plan and I will not only die but i'll die on the cross why to forgive us of our sins that's based on subjection that's based on obedience 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 jesus obeyed we need to obey we need to learn how to be coached why because we want to do what's right in our own eyes it's one of the things in coaching it's hilarious you get all these kids and they're not very good at things but this is the way i do it I like doing it this way. Your way's no good, but you're no good. So we, we say your way's no good. In sports, it's, it's you're no good, right? And look at your batting average. It's, it's not up for debate. We, maybe we should say you're no good. Instead, we, you know, soften the blow. Your way doesn't work. Do it my way. Do it the right way. Allow yourself to be coached. But in autonomy, where we make our own, where we make ourselves our own God, we say, well, I want to do it my way. I want to, I want to try it my way. It's one of the funny things you look out in the street side. You go to a high school campus and, you know, all these kids are walking around. It's like, yeah, I'm so individual and unique. It's like, man, I saw the same kid when I was in school 30 years ago. And our parents could say the same thing. It's like the guys that were all black, you know? Yeah, we had those guys, yeah. That's, you 
know, the jock with the Letterman jacket. Yeah, we had, we had jocks. You know, the green-haired chicks, you know, that are mad at the world. Yeah, we, we had those too. You know, it's like, whoa, you just invented this thing. Nope, you're just following another pattern. And you think you're doing your own thing. No, you're following after your master's pattern. And you're saying, don't tell me what to do. Meanwhile, you're doing exactly what millions of other broodies just like you have done before. You're not willing to, to say that you're being subjection to anybody else, and yet you're in subjection to a whole, a whole culture. Instead, we need to think in, in terms of, well, what would I do for Christ's sake? How, how, how should I live for Jesus? What would his example be? And then we turn around and we do those things. Subjection, then, is the foundation for all relationships. All relationships have an element of subjection to them. Employers, right? The boss has employees. And the, and the thing works, and it works great when, the, when the, the boss understands that the employees help him accomplish his invention and his dreams and his strategies. And it helps when the employees understand that they didn't invent the company, they didn't buy the equipment, and they need the boss, and the boss needs the employees, and they both need each other, right? It's not one or the other. It's like we're, we're so polarized. It's like, you know, just go talk to the union guys. The only people that matter are the worker. And then you go, you know, and go to the round table of corporate. The only people that matter are the people who founded the business. It's our money. We founded it. Great. Do it without the employees. See how far that you get. It's both. And both have to learn how to live in subjection to each other. Again, sports, coaches, coaches have players, players have coaches. And to see coaches and players actually collaborate. We see this a lot more today. And we're seeing better results because it used to be that all the coaches came from a military background and they would just bark and yell at, at, at their players. Now we see collaboration, the brain of the player and the brain of the coach, and they come together. We see this with parents, right? We want to talk about relationships, being subject to one another. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Sweet. Parents love that verse. What about, and parents do not provoke your children to anger. Ooh, we have to work together, don't we? We have to work together. All relationships involve some compromise, some yielding, some coming to terms. It's not weak. It's strength. It's powerful. And then we all see in the coming weeks, marriage, the very foundation of marriage begins with, begins with verse 21, be subject to one another. Yeah, but the next verse says, wives be subject to your own husbands. You're trying to trick me. No, we'll get there. That's coming. But it begins with, there's a subjection to one another that we need to understand. So when the husband is the head of the household and the wife submits to her husband, that it begins with the starting point of, yeah, but... They're in subjection to each other. So then we ask the question, well, how does that work? Well, we'll study it in a couple weeks. So the first element is to understand subjection. It's not bad. It's not weak. It's not inferior. It's simply just a position and a role. The reasons why opposites attract is because 
the two different ways come together and complement each other and make you more complete as this power couple. Well, the second element of humble subjection is understanding that it's to one another. And that may seem, seem obvious, but, but sometimes we, we, again, we think in terms of, well, just like things are just happening in a, in a, in a cloud bubble, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I could be submissive. I could be humble. I'm a humble person. Yeah, but it's got to be to somebody. It's got to be in, in, in context to each other, not to just one. So again, it's not that it's just one person who's in charge and the other person who's subjection. No, you're actually in subjection to one another. Well, then who's in charge? Aha. Are you listening? The idea that Christianity is some kind of tyrannical, patriarchal, the man just tells the woman exactly what she just quiet and stay barefoot in prayer is, is a lie and a myth. That's not how it works. So how does it work? Is there headship? Yes, there is. Again, we're going to see that, but it comes off of understanding. Here's the starting point. We're in subjection to one another. To one another, each together. We're not just individuals. We're a partnership. We're we're not selfishly motivated. We're not selfishly motivated. We're like Jesus. You regard others as more important than yourself. You're putting others' interests in front of your own interest. How would you like to be subject to somebody who puts your interests ahead of theirs? Does that sound bad? That's subjection. That's a biblical subjection. The other is not. The other is, is sinful and carnal and not what God has designed us to be. So we don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, the world has a different view of what humility is and what subjection is and what headship is. So because the world has redefined it and defines it a different way, well, then we can't use those terms, won't use those terms and won't follow this, this role and mandate, which is why so many people struggle. Because if they would understand, no, you are called to be in subjection. You're called to be in subjection to one another. That's the foundation. That's the starting point to then be able to move forward. Remember the theme of of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1? 14 different times we're reminded that we're to be faithful in Christ Jesus, that there's a spiritual heavenly place in Christ, that he chose us in him that we're adopted as sons through Jesus, that in him we have redemption, that, that, you know, that his kind intention, his purpose is in him. And 14 different times we're reminded that all this happens in Christ. He's the center. He's the anchor. We're not the anchor. Christ is the anchor. We're in subjection. We're both clinging on to the anchor, Right? Both of us need the anchor. Both of us are clinging to the anchor. Again, the theme of of, of Ephesians is not about you. It's about Christ. 
He brings these two people together in Ephesians 2. You've got Jews and you've got Gentiles. And the great mystery reveals we're all the same. We're all sinners who need Christ. And so he, in this mystery of all mysteries, then brings the two into one group. He fits us together into one, united into one. It's, it's always about the, the, the unification it's not a separation. It's a unification. That's how this works. We've separated it. We've, we've turned it into something that God has not. And so the foolish living from them, their selves say, well, I, I, if, if I'm not in charge, then, then, I'm, then I'm not the leader. So I've got to be the leader. So, and, and then you twist it and turn it and, and think it away. And you think in a non-biblical way. Right now we see people then who say, you know what? Um, I'm just going to live for myself. I'm just going to do it my way. I'm just going to serve my own personal interests first. And we've lived in an age now where we have more access to each other. We were just talking about this last night that, again, our kids are going to meet people in fourth grade and never lose touch with them again because they'll have, they'll have access, immediate instantaneous access forever. So in a time where you can be in touch with everybody you want, you can be in touch with people on the other side of the world that you don't even know, but they like you, right? You can have thousands of friends that aren't friends that you've never met. And people have never been more alone. People have never been more alone. They've never been more lonely and more miserable to the point of self-harm because they're so lonely, because they're so miserable, because all they do is pursue their own personal interests. So much so that they're living a life, they're living a virtual life on on a silly device. We have a whole company that's changing its entire direction. Facebook to Meta to a fake world. Their whole corporate structure is going to be to get everybody to live in a virtual playhouse, in a virtual world. Why? Because you do what you want to do. You change your face, your avatar, your hair, your body, or whatever, your job, your lifestyle. Why? Because all you think about is yourself. And so you form and, and, and carve a whole new world around you. It's not selflessly motiv selflessly motivated. It's selfishly motivated. It's the def mere definition of self-ish. Well, the third element of humble subjection which again goes back to our, our first point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Isn't it interesting? And be subject to one another. How? In the fear of Christ. So that's why we, we need to meditate on God's word. We need to slow down and read it and go, Whoa, what did I just read? I'm, I'm, I'm reading about how how... Verse 15, I'm supposed to be careful how I walk as a wise person. I want to be wise. 
I need to make the most of my time. Why? Because the days are evil. And I'm not supposed to be evil. How do I live this wise and not evil life? And one in the in the final jewel in, in the how-to is well, be subject to one another. We would say, just love, just love each other, be nice, be gentle. Right? We're gonna we're gonna soften this up, right? We're gonna make this real, real cozy. That's not what the Bible says. Bible says, look, you need to be subject to one another. Why? In the fear of the Lord. Do you fear God? Why would you fear God? Oh yeah, he's the judge of the universe. He sets the law. He sets the standard. He sits on the judge's seat. We're all guilty. All of us. We all deserve to pay the price the wages for our sin. The only way we're found non-guilty is if he pardons us because he accepts the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So you should fear that guy, right? If you knew in five years from now, you're going to go stand before a judge and he's going to judge you for every single thing you did. Don't forget the unknown sin. Don't forget your hidden sin that you think is hidden in the dark by yourself all alone. Don't forget that sin that you did when you were 15. And I know some of you can't remember that, but you did it. Well, you might want to think about who that judge is, who has the power to lick up the land with fire, to flood the land with water, to destroy the earth. There should be some fear and awe. There should be some reverence and respect. And it's in that that you should be driven to be subject to one another, to regard others as more important. Now, again, we can go about this with the carrot, right? Or the stick. You know, oh, some people need like positive reinforcement. Hey, just love each other. It's the summer of love. Let's just have a good time. Let's just love each other. But this comes to us with the stick. Be subject to one another or else. Whoa. Um, because of the fear of Christ? Remember, no fear leads to chaos. Why fear? Because fear sets rules and boundaries and reminds us that there's consequences for bad actions. That's a good thing. That's a loving thing. You don't let your kid go out until all hours of the night to do whatever they want. Why? That's not loving. That's stupid. They're going to do dumb and silly and foolish things and get themselves into trouble that what might last a lifetime. So as loving parents, we put fences up and borders and rules because we love them. Not because we don't love them. And so the child fears, has some fear because there might be a consequence to their action. That's a good thing. It prevents them from doing things that they shouldn't do. But no fear leads to total chaos. When you open the streets and you have a, I don't know, say if we made something up like a whole zone of autonomy. You know, not that that would ever happen. But if you did that, what would happen? then everybody will live in peace and harmony and utopia, right? No, people will get shot and died immediately because chaos exists, because people aren't good. And so we're called to be subject 
to each other. Why? In the fear of Christ. Now, we'll touch on the elephant in the room again, especially for our women. Are you more afraid of a man, of your husband, of society than you are of Christ? I don't want to be subject to my husband. I don't want to be subject to a man. Do you know what he might do? How he might take advantage of that situation? Yeah, it can happen. It can happen. Men have taken advantage of that. But that's an unbiblical response on their part. That's a sinful response on their part. If done right, which we'll see in Ephesians 5, then that man will love and cherish and nourish his wife so much, even to the point of death, just like Jesus. Who doesn't want a guy like that? Well, that's what's being called on. You're, you're being called to, to be subject to that guy, not a male chauvinist pig. But if he turns into one, well, you know what? You're still being called to be subject to him in the fear of Christ. So don't fear men. Don't fear society. Fear of the Lord. Fear about not following his rules and his guidelines because there is a consequence to that. And we'll get into that more later. But for today, we just want to understand just this mindset that we have to have, that, that we have to, one, be subject to one another. So, so the man understands that, look, I'm the head. I'm the head of this household. But there's a subjection that I have with my wife. What does that look like? We're going to see. And it's to one another. We're in a partnership together. And we understand that we are, we are subject to Christ. should be more afraid of how Christ evaluates how you live and serve other people than other people. And so your neighbor, your friend, your kids, your parents, your spouses, how we interact with one another and how God will judge that should be our concern. That should be our concern. Listen, we're sinners, right? We're all sinners. If you're not sure, ask my kids. They, they can tell you I'm a sinner. We will disappoint each other. We will. But we still need to yield to each other and respect each other and understanding God's wisdom that this is the way that he's set it up and designed it to where in a perfect harmony, we're fighting each other to be gracious to one another. We're fighting each other to be kinder to one another. We're fighting each other to forgive one another the fastest, to be the ultimate peacemaker in the family, to regard the other person as more important than yourself. Who doesn't want to live in that relationship? Fight to live like that and your life will turn around real fast. Well, that's the example that we see here. That's how we walk wisely. And there will be stumbling blocks because we have sinners. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a great reminder.